Thank you, sir. Thank you, worship team. Good morning to you all. My name is uh, Greg. Eric is, is, uh, is here today, uh, but Eric, as they say in the news, he has the day off. So We, uh, we were joking about this earlier, uh, and, and we said whoever preached the first sermon of the new year last year, that didn't work out so well. So we decided we, decided we better change it up a bit. So, but happy to be here with you. It's a privilege to, to be asked to get to share God's word with you. So um, very excited about that. Very excited to be here. And as Mr. Foreman said, when we get to the new year, is always a sense of new, right? So since this is the opportunity we have to kind of reflect on the past year and to make plans for the new year. And uh, so all that to say, let's just get this out of the way. Happy New Year to you all. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to the folks on the second floor. Do, does anybody listen on the first floor? Is this broadcast down there? Yes, on the first floor. Happy New Year. And everybody listening at home, Happy New Year to you. So, very good. Well, um, again, as I said, this is, uh, uh, am I on? Uh, did I unmute? Okay. Don't panic. Yeah, okay. Um, excellent. Yeah, this is the opportunity, again, when we start reflecting on over the past year. I don't know if you've seen them, but this is typically the time when you're watching TV and they start showing you pictures of people who died over the past year. And, and I don't know, for whatever reason, it's always just kind of, it's, there's some of them that are just kind of shocking and you think, wow, life is, life is truly brief, isn't it? So they show pictures of people and, and, or sometimes you see someone who died this past year and you go, wow, they were still alive? You know, you didn't, didn't realize that that person was still alive, but... Uh, as I was, I was, I was thinking about the sermon, I was reflecting and, and looking at pictures, and um, you know, you do what you do when you're reflecting over the past year and years. And I came across some pictures that I think uh, um, was 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 probably what 15 years ago. My daughter Lily, who's who's with us here, my wife Myra, who's with us here on the third floor. Uh, we she came home one day from school and she said, "Dad, um, there's a father-daughter." Uh, canoe trip that's going to happen. Bethel does these float down the Buffalo River. Has anybody been on the Buffalo River trip? Yeah, some of you have been, have endured that, right? And um, so she came home. She was excited about this opportunity. She said, Dad, we should go on this. This is a father-daughter trip down the Buffalo River. She was in between her, her uh, eighth grade year and her freshman year in high school. And as it turns out, her best friend, Emily Putman, some of you know the Putmans, uh, Emily and her father Jerry were going to go on this trip, so so Lily felt like this would be a good time for her and I to go on the trip as well, and she could hang out with Lily and and you know uh, despite the rugged looking exterior, you know I, I'm not tremendously outdoorsy, um, though in my mind I think I am, and and so I I had some things that I thought well. This might use, if you're not familiar with this Buffalo River trip, it's, it's three days down the river. There's no facilities, there's no bathrooms, there's no nothing. Um, it's you and the river and in the wilderness. And, um, but I, so I, I thought, well, that sounds fun. Uh, let, me, let me kind of vet this out. So um, being careful, I wanted to know who else was going on this trip. Uh, so besides Jerry and, and Emily, um, I, I got the supply list. I realized we had some of the things, uh, but I wanted to look at the skill sets 
of the travelers who are we traveling with? Well, I knew Jerry was a medical doctor, so check. That's a good, that's a good thing to have uh, on this trip. I found out we also had a physical therapist, so cool. That's good if I need a you know, massage or something down the trip. Got a physical therapist. We had a retired park ranger. How good is that, right? You're going on a float trip and you're camping. You got a retired park ranger uh, and, and an experienced guide uh, who had been on the trip several times before. So, so we're good. Uh, I felt fairly comfortable with the skill set of the band of travelers I would be traveling with. Frankly, I'm an IT guy, and, and frankly, my, my IT skills really didn't add much to the skill set, honestly. There's no cell phone coverage at all along, along this thing. So uh, now, uh, previous to being an IT guy, I was a pastor, so I thought, well, at least some pastoral skills I could offer up a devotional or two around a campfire. So got that. Uh, I also had a bucket of golf balls to offer. And uh, that may sound funny to you, but if you've been on this trip, uh, you know what that's a reference to. So th and I won't spoil the surprise. If you ever get to go on this trip, it's fun. But just let's just say there as a point in which you get to hit some golf balls. So, so that's fun. So, we had, so I, I had that to supply. I was willing to supply that. I also had, uh, it, despite the fact that I had kind of a meager supply of camping gear, I did have a roll of duct tape. So... That is uh, what I felt like was essential, because you can do anything with duct tape, right? So, so if, if I didn't have the supplies, if I didn't have the skill set, at least I've got, I've got the duct tape. So, so I agreed to go. The, the day, the day of, we collect our stuff, we get ready to go. Um, we, we get there for the day of departure. We're loading up the vans, and, and this huge lightning thunderstorm hits uh, over Tyler as we're loading up the van to go. I thought it would probably be better to wait to load the vans until after the, sto the, the storm was over, but the, the experts uh, wanted to load anyway. So we were getting soaked, you know, lightning all around us, but we got loaded. We got wet. I mean, it's a river trip, right? So you're going to get wet anyway. So, uh, so we got loaded. We took off, um, and, and kind of this was foreshadowing, and, and this kind of leads into our passage of the day. Because what I didn't realize at the time is what God was kind of telling me is, look, this is, there are things that are going to happen that you didn't plan or prepare for. That, that kind of became the theme of the trip. And what I began to realize is that, that you can plan and prepare all you want. You can surround yourself with a team of experts. Uh, you can have all the duct tape you want. But things will happen that you did not anticipate. By, by the end of day one... On our trip down the river, uh, I learned that the experienced guide that was supposed to be going on the trip with us uh, did not come on the trip. Uh, the, the next most experienced person had been on the trip once before, so little anxiety there. The physical therapist, probably who was in the best shape of all of us, by the end of the first day nearly drowned and we had to save him. So apparently muscles sink and so... Um, all my ice, now you, you're packing supplies, you have perishables in ice, and everybody's supposed to have their own ice in their own cooler and their own canoe. Uh, by the end of the first day, all of my ice had melted, and we had to transfer my food into other people's uh, coolers. Uh, Lily and I managed to wedge our canoe into a log hazard around one of the bends, and we nearly capsized, fortunately saved it. 
the air mattress that I had, which I thought was going to be critical camping supplies. Now, mind you, you're, you're going down a river, you're, you're sleeping on rocks, okay? So air mattress is pretty critical. My air mattress had a hole in it, and so we slept on the ground. Uh, and, and to top it all off, the duct tape that I had thought I could do anything with duct tape didn't do a thing. It didn't, it didn't fix the hole in the mattress. And, and so this became a lesson in things happen that you can't anticipate. God's plan for my trip, as it looks at in, in retrospect, God's plan for my trip and my plan for my trip were completely different. I, I thought I had all the preparations made for, for an enjoyable river float down the great outdoors of Arkansas, uh, but I got an entirely changed perspective on these three days down the river about trusting God as opposed to trusting my own devices. Now, now this becomes, uh, uh, again, pretext to our passage today, but it, it's obvious, right? If you think about this past year, if, if you think about where you were a year ago and thinking about anticipating the coming year, uh, my guess is that you probably didn't anticipate surviving a global pandemic, right? So things will happen Things will happen that you did not anticipate. Things will happen that you are not prepared for. How do we deal with it? Let's turn in our Bibles uh, to James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And this is the main idea. The main idea is this, if the Lord wills. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. James says this, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. While you do not even know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. So that little key phrase, if it is the Lord's will, and I make it a bit more poetic with the main idea of the sermon, which is this, this rule of life. Your duct tape will fail. God's purpose will prevail. Remember the lesson of the duct tape. This is James, as we dig into this now, James chapter 4, verses uh, 13 through 17. Let's just kind of go verse by verse through this thing. This is, this is James. This is Jesus' half-brother. James, the book of James, is considered uh, the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's, it's full of wisdom. It's full of application. It's full of ways in which we should live. So this is James, Jesus' half-brother. James is... is uh, his ministry headquarters is Jerusalem, and, uh, and, and his ministry focus was on fellow Jews, as opposed to Paul, who was Jewish, but Paul's focus was on Gentiles. James is focused in terms of his ministry um, on his fellow Jews. This, this passage comes in the, in the context of the book itself. This passage comes in the middle of a section where James is illustrating what bitter envy and selfish ambition bring 
what they produce, as opposed to humility. Apparently, James was encountering some issues within the church, in the early church, uh, within these Jewish who had now become believers in Jesus Christ. And there was some infighting going on. If, if we look at the things that, were, that he's addressing, uh, this infighting he mentions in, in chapter 4, verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires uh, that, that uh, battle within you? So there was infighting going on within the church. Uh, in 4, verse 11, uh, there, was, there was slander and, uh, and judgmental behavior. 4, verse 11, brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. So, so a lot of infighting, a lot of slander going on. There was the hoarding of wealth, he mentions, in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. <coughs> and, then, and then because they just didn't trust one another, uh, he mentions in chapter 5, verse 12, uh, don't make these oaths. Uh, he says in five twelve. above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven, not by earth, not on your mother's grave, not cross your heart. You don't need to do that. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no or you'll be condemned. The idea was uh, they, they just didn't trust one another. So if I said yes, it was, it was uh, doubtful whether I really meant yes. And uh, so, so they had this elaborate system of swearing to try to prove what they were saying was true. So there's a lot of stuff going on that, that James is addressing as he's in, as we look at this passage in the middle of all this. So let's take a look at it. 4, verse 13, he says, uh, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. That idea of, of now listen, some of your translations may say go now, uh, but it's, it's to get their attention. It's, it's to motivate action. It's kind of a reprimand. Um, it's, it's like, I guess, the modern-day equivalent would be if we said, come on, man. That's what he's saying. Come on, man, uh, you who say this, you who, who will say, let's go to this or that city and make a profit. Um, that, that word itself is where we get the word emporium. The, that's the actual Greek word there. We're going to set up business. We're going to set up the emporium, which, as I say that, I realize nobody uses the word emporium anymore except at Disneyland. So uh, th it's about setting up a business. We're going we're gonna to make a profit. This, ad, this addresses a businessman who makes his plan and is going to go set up shop and is going to make profits, typically what we do in the new year, thinking about what we're going to do over the next year. Three things about the statement itself. It, it's self-assertive. It's self-confident. It's, it's fairly self-centered. In, in, as we evaluate this in the context of our culture, we might say, what's wrong with that? Uh, but, but there's two things uh, that James is going to bring out that are wrong with that. Number one, it represents bad theology. And, and then number two, it represents bad anthropology. Let's look at verse 14. He said, the first problem with such a resolution is bad theology. In verse 14, he says, uh, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears a little while and then vanishes. So this idea of being confident of what I'm going to be able to do in the future, there's a problem with that. And there's a subtle little tweak he's going to mention here that, that should be addressed. But here he said the problem is uh, that this is bad theology. Only God 
can control the future. You don't know what will happen tomorrow, let alone next year. And again, this past year has surely been an example of that. Um, second problem is, is this, we fail to assess, I call it anthropology, that's a theological term, just the study of man, and the, the idea of uh, assessing our human condition properly. And that's the second problem here, is it fails to properly appraise the brevity of life. So this statement, and, and sometimes our New Year's resolutions become this, is a bit, can be a bit arrogant in the sense of, I'm going to do this, I'm going to make a profit over this next year. And, and the problem is, I can't control the future, only God can control the future. A and number two, it fails to assess the brevity, and because he talks about vapor, the, the, the brevity and the insignificance of a life lived without God is addressed here. What is your life? He uses, uh, he uses the term zoe, that's the Greek term for life, as opposed to bios, where we get the word biology. So he's talking about what is your life, your zoe. It, it refers to uh, uh, all of life that is the life that is uh, observable. It is, if I were to tell you, um, tell me about your life, you would begin immediately to understand that as I'm asking you to tell me about your zoe, as opposed to your bios. Uh, if you thought I was referring to your bios, you would say, well, my life, uh, my pulse is about 50 to 60 normally. My blood pressure is, you know, 140 over 80, and my oxygen uptake, so on. So that would be your bios. And nobody, nobody would respond to tell me about your life by telling me about your bios. Okay, so, so we understand what he's saying here. What is your life? He's referring to, to your zoe. This is, this is your this is what you post on Facebook. This is what you want people to know, I guess. What is your life? Um, your life, as recorded on Facebook, uh, it, it describes that which animates life. It is used when the Bible talks of eternal life. This is the same word, life. James reminds his listeners that life is brief. Your life is a vapor. And that underscores that our lives are brief and insignificant without God. Uh, the, I, I've encountered a, uh, a Spanish phrase that caused me to pause and think about this. This is an interesting one. There's a, there's a common Spanish phrase that's used of talking about the briefness of life. And it is, I, I mas tiempo que vida. Anybody speak Spanish? I mas tiempo que vida. That literally means... There is more time than life. And it's usually used if someone's saying, oh, I just don't have enough time to do the things I, I want to do. Someone may respond, well, I must tiempo que vida. Meaning there is, there's always more time than life. That, and that that's, that's a, a, exemplifies the fact that, that um, our lives are very brief here. There's always more to do than we'll actually have time to do. Um, if one, if one needs a reminder of the significance of our life in light of God's eternity, sometimes we forget about that, and we think we get caught up in our own stuff, in our own self-centeredness, and, and we think that our lives are more significant than they really are in terms of living outside of God's plan for our life. And that's the danger here. Paul reminds us that we should always think about God in these things. I think it's wise... Um, every once in a while to look up at the night sky just to give us a perspective 
of, of our lives here on this earth. Uh, this happened recently. Did you all see the Christmas star? This, was, this is a view of Woodstock looking at the Christmas star from my front yard. This is my, my house in Salado. By the way, the, I won the Christmas competition for our neighborhood, but I'm just, I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, but this is, this is Woodstock and, and Snoopy on the Zamboni machine. They're looking, but that was the night sky in front of my house, and that's the Christmas star. Uh, so if you're, if you're familiar with that, the Christmas star isn't, as it turns out, actually a star, right? It was the confluence of two different planets, uh, Jupiter and Saturn. And, 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 and at that particular point uh, in, in our year, they looked as one. And, and so it was very bright, very observable, and pretty cool. Uh, and it doesn't happen again for, I don't know how many more years, but a long time. Uh, but the reality of this, again, it's not a star at all, is that Jupiter and Saturn, though they are planetary neighbors, are 456 million miles apart. So while it appears as one, it appears as if they're one there, they're a long way apart. Actually, at that distance, if you could travel at light speed, it would take you 45 minutes to get from one planet to the other. If you shined a light from one planet to the surface of the other, you wouldn't see it until 45 minutes later. That's pretty amazing. As, as for stars, just to give you an example of the vastness of the universe, uh, we're just talking about planets within our solar system, right? So as, as far as stars go, we have, of course, our sun, which is our solar system, but then the next closest star to us is a star which is known as, as Proxima Centauri, and it is 4.24 light years away. So, so by our modern rocket technology, if we wanted to go examine this star and we launched a rocket today, it would arrive there in about 20,000 years. That's the, that's the next closest star in the galaxy. To give you an idea of the, of the vastness of space, it always amazes me, and, and, and I love to look up at the night sky and ponder these things to recognize who I am in God's universe. And the fact is that God gives me my sense of worth, and God gives me my sense of significance. Outside of God, I'm a blip. I'm, as James says, I'm a vapor. And so as we, as we get to this new year and start thinking about this new year, thinking about our purpose and, and our plans, thinking about where is God in the midst of all this. Verse 15, he gives us the answer. Instead of saying, I will, you know, arrogantly and presumptuously, I will go and do this and my plans will succeed and I will make money. Instead of that, I should say and precede that was with, if it is the Lord's will, verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Um, this is good theology. This causes us to submit our lives and our plans to God's will. If the Lord wills, we will live. Your life is in God's hands. If the Lord wills, we will succeed in our plans. Verse 16, all such boasting is evil. Verse 16, he says, uh, anyone then, or excuse me, verse 16, uh, as it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. It's not planning, not condemning planning. It's not planning or goal setting that is evil. 
It is when we do it and exclude God in our arrogance and fail to submit our plans to God. So this idea of preceding these comments with if it is God's will. Now that's not an incantation. That doesn't magically make all your plans succeed, right? But it is, but it is a process in us submitting our will to God's will. And that's the key factor here. If we don't do that, it is boasting and bragging, as James appraises it. So if, if by reminding us that our life on this planet is brief, James strikes at our meaning here and our purpose here and considers it evil not to appraise it properly. He actually uses the word in, is evil. All such boasting is, is evil. So again, not planning or goal setting that's the problem. It's not submitting our will to God that is the problem. I mean, the, the reality is if we were able to succeed in all our plans, what possible impact would our life have without God being in them and God using them for his ends and for his glory? Two verses from Proverbs that I, that I think are, are significant here. Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Again, the process of submitting our, our plans and our will to God. Proverbs 19, 21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but, is the, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. If you want your life to have significance, submit your plans to God's plan. Be a part of what God is doing in this life. And then verse 17, anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. This is the, the sin of omission, right? In light of this context, then, in which he's speaking, the good we ought to do is that which is opposite of boasting, that which is opposite of infighting, that which is opposite of, of uh, falsely swearing, those kind of things. The idea is humility is what God wants from us. So that's the passage. So, so in light of that, three Three takeaways. I'm going to state them as resolutions because I, you know, we make resolutions. These are three resolutions that I think, in light of the passage, make sense. Number one is this: Let us resolve to submit our plans to God's will. Let's make that a resolution. I resolve to submit my plans this year to God's will. I will plan, but if something doesn't go right, I will yield to God's will over my will. It's a difficult thing to do. And in daily life, we forget to do that. Uh, but, but let's resolve to submit our plans to God's will. There's a beautiful verse uh, I've, I've happened upon in, in this regard that I think if you, don't, if you don't have a devotional or you don't get a devotional for this next new year or you don't start reading through the Bible or whatever else, this one verse, if you could wake up every day and have this one verse, this would be, this would be the one. Uh, Psalm 143, verse 8. You can go jot it down. Psalm 143, verse 8. It says this. Again, this is a brilliant way to start your day. The psalmist says, Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love. That, that is the, God's, it's the Hebrew phrase is kesed. It is his loyal love. Let me, let me hear in your morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you, I lift up my soul. I yield myself to you. That's a, a beautiful way to start every morning. Is to say, 
God, I trust in you. I trust in your love, your steadfast love for me today. Make known to me the way I should go, and, and I lift up my soul to you. I yield myself to you. I yield my will to your will. I can't think of a better way to start each morning than Psalm 143, verse 8. The, the idea of yielding yourselves to God's will. This was, as, as a young boy, I, I, I still remember this. I grew up, my, my father grew up on the East Coast, and so we would, even though I grew up on the West Coast, I grew up in California, every two or three years, my family would take a trip from California to Maryland, where, where my dad grew up. My dad didn't have the benefit of, of being raised by a mother. His mother left when he was very young, and then um, his father was trying to raise him and, and he had a, an aunt and uncle who couldn't have children, and he had to make a decision at some point in his life whether he wanted to stay in his father's house or his aunt and uncle who were willing to raise him to go live with them. So he went and was raised by his aunt and uncle, Paul, Paul and Lucille. That's my great aunt and uncle. And I remember going to their house, and uh, they were very devout um, in their faith. And uh, I just remember that, that always stuck with me, is how consistent they were in their worship, in their giving. Um, their lives were very simple. My, my uncle never owned a car, walked everywhere. He worked at the, the city park. Uh, my, my aunt, my great aunt, great uncle, my great aunt Lucille, um, she didn't have a job, but she, she volunteered at the local hospital. She would walk to the local hospital and she worked in the, like the commissary in the, in the cafeteria. Um, my uncle volunteered coaching Little League Baseball. Didn't have children. He had my dad to, to raise, but didn't have his own children, but always was very consistent. Whatever they did, it was very consistent. They were very loyal to doing what they're doing, very loyal to their church, and that just always stuck with me. Uh, the, the Little League field actually named the field after, after my uncle, the Paul Brandenburg Field, and, and uh, the, the snack bar or commissary at the hospital where my aunt worked for years and years and years, put a plaque up to, just to honor her memory uh, once my aunt and uncle passed. I remember when they, when they did pass, um, my, my parents were going through their things, taking a look at stuff they had stored in their basement of their rented house. They never owned a home, never owned a car. They rented a house, the same house, for many, many years. And they were looking at the stuff that they had, had collected after they had passed, and uh, they had these things in the basement they had, my, my aunt had wrapped up, and there was, there was the initials GLW on everything. And so we were a bit puzzled at first as to who GLW was, because there's nobody in the family with those initials. We had no idea who GLW was. And then it occurred to us that my aunt always used to say, good Lord willing. And so what we realized is that we looked at these things that she collected in her basement. These were things that she would use um, uh, on the day that she was able to get her own home. So she was waiting for that day, but she was submitting to the Lord's will, good Lord willing, that she would be able to use this at some point. Let us resolve to submit our plans to God's will. Number two, let us resolve to do the good we know we should. Namely, humble yourself before God and wait patiently for his will. Uh, and, then the, and then the third resolution, let us resolve to trust God above our own ability, intelligence, etc., our devices. Um, let us resolve to trust God 
above our own ability. Don't trust the duct tape. It will fail. So the, so the conclusion, I'll just wrap this up by telling you how the, how the trip uh, finished. We, we made it through in three days. We finally got to our final stop. On the next morning, we were to, to canoe out and, and to go home. Um, I felt that we had accomplished survival for sure. We had managed to sleep somewhat, and, and uh, uh, we got to our last destination, which I had totally looking forward to because this was like you had steaks that you packed, and this was like on the third night you were going to cook steaks around the campfire, and uh, this is where you use the golf balls. There's a place above a bluff where you can go hit the golf balls. Uh, so, so very excited to get there. We, we put our tents up. We got the, the fire going. We were, we were ready to start cooking the steaks, and then a thunderstorm hit. <laughs> huge lightning storm. Now, now thunder is scary to begin with, but when you're in a river canyon and thunder is right on top of you, it echoes. And so it was frightening. And there was no gap between the lightning and the thunder. And I thought, oh, we are going to die. This is bad news. The rain is coming down hard and we are camped right beside the river. Okay. So, so I, you know, I'm not a, again, not a camper, but we've got the, the experienced folks and the, and the professionals here, and we decided, well, we were not going to be deterred from eating steak. So, so, we, so we somehow got a fire going, and then four of the crew are holding up a, a, a canvas cover with aluminum tent poles to keep the rain from putting out the fire, and we're cooking the steak, and I look out and I go, what is happening here? Everything that I have trusted, the duct tape, the equipment has all failed, and now my experts in the middle of this violent lightning storm are all holding aluminum stakes. I'm thinking, oh, this is, this is too much. We, at that point, we got everybody gathered together. I volunteered my tent, which is leaking, by the way. It's another thing is Scotchgard doesn't really waterproof everything. So my tent's leaking. I got no bed to sleep on. There's mud all over the floor. I said, everybody come into my tent anyway. So we all gathered there. We're, we're kind of eating our steak. I think my, my daughter, actually, the, the steak knife we used, she cut her fingers. So now we got blood. It's all good. We got duct tape, right? Now, everything has failed at this point, right? So now as we're all scared, we're all wet, we're, we're gathered there together at this, this last night thinking, I don't know if we're going to survive this. Again, I, right on the side of the river. And, and so... Uh, all I could think of was just kind of one more last-ditch effort to, to use my own devices to help here and to try to rally the kids. You know, we got 8-year-olds to 12-year-old to girls with us on this trip, and I think I'm, I'm going I'm to do something to try to, to rally the troops here. And, and for some reason, in my pastoral knowledge and skill set, all I could come up with was a devotional uh, about um, Stonewall Jackson, what, how, how Stonewall Jackson got his name because... He trusted God so much that he was willing to stand up in the line of fire. And I don't know why. I, that was my effort to try to rally. And you know what I learned is that doesn't really resonate with little girls. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, out, I'm, I'm out now at this point. I got nothing. I'm, everything has completely failed at this point. I, I don't know how to, I don't know what to do. And, and, and this little girl, one of the eight-year-olds, I think it was Andrew Green. Some of you might know Andrew Green, his daughter. <coughs> she, speaks, she's, she speaks up. And she says, why don't we pray? And, and I'm just undone spiritually before the Lord at that point. Because why is it that the first thing in the faith of a child 
the child says is, let's pray. Whereas the last thing, because I'm looking for more devices and more ways to fix things, I don't even think to pray. But this young little girl says, hey, why don't we pray? And so, and so we did. And, and the next day, the skies cleared, and, and we rode out and made it home. And it was a great experience that my daughter and I still talk about today. But it wasn't the experience that we thought we were going to have. And, and as you look at 21, I can guarantee you that it's not going to be the experience that you think you're going to have. But what I can say is if you'll travel with God, and, and if you'll think about prayer first, and in the morning each day yield your will up to God, you will take the trip that God wants you to have. And so I say this at the beginning of 2021, why don't we pray? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth, for your wisdom. Father, help us to submit. Father, we believe you. Help our unbelief. Help us to grow in our trust in you. And like an eight-year-old girl, help us to have that kind of faith that we would, on the front end, think to pray and yield up to you rather than we've expended all our resources trying to figure out issues. Father, we, we depend on you. We rely on you. At the beginning of 2021, help us to each day remember that it's you, it's not us, that our life is brief and that our life is meaningless without you. Help us to align our will to your will and help us to trust you each and every day. And we thank you for this opportunity and for this new year. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.